At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. We're in Ecclesiastes 1. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunities to serve. Our lives are so blessed. We thank you for providing for our needs and giving us the heart and mind of Christ who came not to be served but to serve. We thank you, Lord, for giving us the church uh, to think of our community without your body uh, would be unthinkable to me, to us. And so we want to build it. Father, you build your church, but you do it through us. So I do pray that you would provide the workers that we need to be able to do this precious work. And now, Lord, prepare us to receive your word. Your word is true, pure, perfect. Your word is sure, more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. I pray that you would remove any and all distractions, internal and external. Help us. Consecrate this hour to us as holy. That we may lift the name of Jesus above every other name in heaven, on earth, under the earth. In his name we pray. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after the word of the Lord. Have you ever attended a professional performing arts show, a play, a musical, a ballet with you know, 50 or so cast members? All really good. But you notice that beyond the five leading roles and maybe the other 10 ensemble members, the rest of the cast, which is really the majority of them, had fairly an insignificant part to play. In fact, for a few of them, uh, they only performed in one number. You know, they came from stage left, 
They danced for a few minutes beautifully, I might add, and then they exited stage right. That was it. They've been studying, performing art for over 20 years, since they were four years of age. But that five-minute performance, you know, in relative obscurity, was their day in the sun. A fleeting moment, really. I think about such things. I think about my house when I use Google Maps. Maybe you've done this before. And I see my house in Google Maps, and then I zoom out a bit so that my house disappears and all I see is Royal Oak. You know what I'm talking about? And then I zoom out even farther and Royal Oak disappears and all I see is Detroit. And then again, and I just see Michigan. And then even farther out and it's just the United States. And then far out in space, I just see the earth and masses of blue and green and some white. And somewhere way down in there is my tiny house, my room, my bed, on which I think thoughts of great self-importance. <laughs> the small fleeting nature of our existence and our inflated sense of self-importance are two prominent themes in Ecclesiastes. This book of wisdom that we're going to be looking at for the next six weeks. We've entitled the series, Smoke and Mirrors, Deciphering Truth in a World of Truths. Ecclesiastes is an uncomfortable book. Have you read it before? It's uncomfortable. It's one of my favorite books to give a non-Christian to read. Because it raises more questions than it gives answers and it captures the futility of life. Many people are far from God because they have more answers than questions, but their answers are based on illusions. And so I've had people come back to me after reading Ecclesiastes and say, this book was depressing. To which I say, I can see why you say that. Life is depressing. Why do you think so many millions of people are on Zoloft? Ecclesiastes looks carefully at life, at how we live life, the assumptions we make, the lies we believe, and it says to us, illusions. You're building your life on illusions. And it does that in order to create space, room for reality. Solid reality. And so, let's start with one of the main questions we have for today. Why does nature repeat itself? Look one, one more time at verse 1. The word of, words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? The book of Ecclesiastes is anonymous. Uh, traditionally, it's been attributed to King Solomon, although the book doesn't say that. We're going to see why that is next week. Uh, Proverbs mentions Solomon by name. Song of Songs mentions Sol Solomon by name. Not this book who's in view here, the person in view here is this preacher, this teacher of wisdom, someone who surveys the landscape of life and makes observations. Uh, the teacher knows well the God of Israel. And his style of teaching is much like a philosopher. He makes observations, comparisons, asks questions, and draws conclusions. And his main motto in the book is right here in verse 2. He says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That Hebrew word translated vanity is the word for vapor or a mist or a breath, something lacking substance. We think of James in the New Testament in chapter four, where he says, what is your life? 
You are a mist that is here today and vanishes tomorrow. We think of that dancer, right, that comes on the stage for five minutes, having practiced for years and years, and then exits. That's their day in the sun. But that's all of our lives. That's what he's saying, a mist. This word is used 38 times in Ecclesiastes 5, right here in verse 2. Vanity of vanities, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He says it right at the introduction. This is his observation of life. And then he says it again all the way at the end in chapter 12, verse 8. Almost verbatim, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Have you ever tried to, to catch a mist, to catch vapor in your hand? What happens? It vanishes, right? There's nothing there. The preacher of Ecclesiastes says to us, I'm going to show you how the way most live is fleeting, elusive, empty, futile. And so then he poses the question in verse 3 that he's going to probe throughout the rest of the book. Verse 3, look at the question. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? That's the question. What do we gain with, from all of our work? Gain, gain. Wouldn't you say that we've been taught to view all of life as gain or loss? Success, think about this. Success to us is gain, surplus, profit. But what if that's a dead-end road for us? What if in our quest for gain, we lose the most important things like people, like presence, being present in the moment, things like gratitude, like love? Listen to what the teacher says in chapter 4, verse 6. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. Do you hear that? Better one handful of peace than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. How un-American. What is he, Canadian or something? I mean, we love both of our hands full of toil and striving. And we could add a third hand. And we could add like, man, can I get two more hands? We just want our hands to be full. If our spouse or child asks us for a hug, we're like, I can't give you a hug. Don't you see? My hands are full. But I love you. You know I love you. What gain is that? He asks. Toil. What does a man, a woman gain from all the toil at which he toils, she toils under the sun? He has a lot to say about toil. Toil, for example, can lead us to a life of pleasure. Think about this. Because we feel we deserve to reward ourselves from all of our hard work. Have you ever done this, right? You have a busy day and you work hard. And at the end of the day, you're like, you know what? I, I should reward myself with a pint of ice cream, right? Because we feel like, hey, I work so hard, I need a reward. Look at what he says in chapter 2, verse 10. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Toil can come from envy. He says, chapter 4, verse 4, Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. We're familiar with the keeping up with the Joneses syndrome, right? 
Satisfaction from toil is never enough. Chapter six, verse seven, all the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. So we give ourselves to pleasure, we envy, we are never satisfied, we never have enough. These are just a few of the things that he has to say about toil, but he's, but he's doing that in search of probing this larger question. What do we gain from the toil of our hands? A few centuries later, another teacher asked a similar question. Mark chapter 8, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his very soul? And so now he begins to make his argument by turning to the interaction between humankind and nature, humankind and earth. Look at verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Uh, Ernst Hemingway's book, The Old Man and the Sea, I'm sure many of you have read it, portrays this struggle between the old man Santiago and a marlin. Who's mightier? Who's going to prevail? There are all kinds of books uh, about that capture this struggle, right, between man and nature. I mean, Bear Grylls shows are all about this, right? Who's going to prevail, you know, man or nature? You know, but do you, have you noticed how much we talk about the weather we talk about the weather so much. Oh, it's so hot these days, so much rain, houses flooded. We have a pond in the parking lot now. You know, like we just go on and on. It's our way of giving voice to the helplessness we feel against the forces of nature. The teacher says a generation comes, a generation goes, but the earth, the earth remains forever. Our puny efforts at controlling nature are like footprints on sand dunes. This whole idea of progress is an illusion. Do you know how many civilizations have come and gone? But the sun, the sun continues to do exactly what it's always done from the time it came into existence. That's his point. Look at verse five. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. So what he's saying is not only does the earth remain forever, whereas you and I come and go, but the earth today is doing the exact same thing that it was doing from the very beginning. And here's the thing, you guys, the earth hasn't gained anything, and yet it lasts forever. That's what he's saying. The sun comes up, the sun goes down, east to west, and then it rushes back to do the same thing, and it does that again and again and again. Same with the wind. Notice how verse six kind of imitates the movements of the wind. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All this activity and change from the wind seems like, oh, there's all of this change. It's the same patterns. That's what he's saying. Same with water. Water remains constant for all the activities of the oceans and lakes and rivers and streams. Nothing's changing. The earth's going to do what the earth's going to do. And yet, there's no net gain. The earth's not gaining anything. So here's the question. Who toils harder, the earth or we? Of course the earth. 
And yet the earth is not gaining anything from its activity. It's just doing what it's always been doing. And so then why do we define life in terms of gain? That's the question he wants us to ponder. Ponder that for yourself. Why do we define life this way? Verse 8, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. All things are full of weariness, or all things are full of full, uh, are, are hard at work. And the result of our interaction with nature is that we can't say enough, we can't see enough, we can't hear enough, we can't understand it, nor can we control it hard as we try. Verse 9. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. It's interesting how quickly things change. Once upon a time, Facebook was cool. Then Instagram, now TikTok. You know, parents try to relate to their teens and keep up with them, but the teens are too cool. You know, they're moving on to the next thing. You know, and if parents try to, try to say the things that their teens say, their, their teens look at them like, mom, dad, that's so cringe. Like, that's so sketch, you know? But then Anna and I were so surprised when we started hearing certain songs blaring through the house and our teens singing them. One of our teens made this playlist and here are the top three songs on that playlist. Ready? Cindy Lauper's Time After Time, 1983. Um, Journey's Don't Stop Believing, 1981. And Madonna's Material Girl, 1984. And so Anna and I were hearing these songs and we're like, what's going on? What is happening? Is this a joke or something? Did they find Anna's old tapes? What is going on? Are we in Back to the Future? Nope, none of that. Our teens were loving 80s pop music. Now, I know some of you are judging me right now, and you're like, hey, the year of the song is the least of my concerns. Why were your children not singing Jesus Paid It All? Okay? <laughs> you can talk to me afterwards. Let's get back to the story. So our teens, you know, are loving 80s pop music, why? Stranger Things, right? The Netflix show Stranger Things has made 80s music cool. Again, songs that we had long, and I mean long forgotten. Our teens were singing like they were brand new. And that's what we're getting at here in this section. We're getting at one of the most famous statements from Ecclesiastes. You've heard it, whether you're at church or not. In verse 9, right? There is nothing new under the sun. He starts asking this question. Is there anything really that we can look at and say, see, this is new? It's like, he says, no, it's been. It's been here before. It's just that we forget about it. We think that so many of our ideas are so new, so progressive. They've all been around a long, long time ago, but we don't remember them. That's what he says, what has been, no remembrance. What will be, we won't remember it. So nothing is new and nothing will be remembered. And so he gets, he's trying to get us to ask, so what's the point? What do you gain by all your toil? 
The earth will be here long after you leave and history won't remember you. It's as if he was saying to us, look humans, nature and history are playing a joke on you and you're falling for it. Our striving after gain is our attempt at controlling what can't be controlled. The, the cyclical rhythms of nature expose our fleeting existence our elusive attempts at control, our empty and futile striving, our illusions of importance. Reality is different altogether, but do you see it? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. All is a mist, a mist like this. There goes a life. There goes Margaret in the grand scheme of life. There goes John Morales, look, look at that. Except I don't smell that good, you know? <laughs> That's it, it's a mist, that's what he's saying. So what is solid reality? What is solid reality? To understand that God has a plan for the world. God has a plan for the world. One of the great illusions that we live in, and this is as strong today as ever, is this idea that we can understand that we can make sense of life through nature alone, naturalism. Naturalism is the belief that all that exists is nature, what we can measure, what we can see, what we can study by this scientific method. We exist be, uh, through evolution, and we've come, we can explain our human species, uh, species through evolutionary processes. We are evolved animals, no better than them really. And so this is the prevalent theory of philosophy of our day enshrined as fact in academic circles. Whether you're reading books, I'm sure you've encountered this, books on history or business or psychology or sociology, all a writer has to do is write according to evolutionary biology and then say whatever and of course, I mean, I'm not saying that they haven't studied these things, they have, but that's the premise. And they say this thing and then highly educated people go, oh, that makes sense, I trust that. And so that's the theory, the prevailing theory for how we explain our existence. But at the same time, we people of the West believe in human rights. And I say we people in the West, because if you travel halfway around the world, you will find that people there have very different notions about what humans are entitled to and what all humans are entitled to, very different ideas. But for us in the West, we believe in human rights, the right to life, the right to happiness, the right to liberty, the right to love, the right to equality. This is deeply ingrained in us in the West, but it doesn't work. Evolution and human rights cannot go together. The atheist writer Yuval Noah Harari, he has a PhD from Oxford, he goes after this notion in his New York Times bestselling book, Sapiens. Here's what he writes. The Americans got the idea of equality from Christianity, which argues that every person has a divinely created soul and that all souls are equal before God. However, if we do not believe the Christian myths about God, creation, and souls, what does it mean that all people are equal? Evolution is based on difference, not on equality. Homo sapiens, that's humans, Homo sapiens has no natural rights. 
just as spiders, hyenas, and chimpanzees have no natural rights. Okay, so there's lots of things that could be said about that passage, but I just want us to focus on this point. He's saying that you cannot affirm both evolution and human rights. Now, you may object and reply, well, but in the West, there are a lot of seculars who do believe in evolution and in human rights, to which Harari would say, yes, but if they're going to be consistent and intellectually honest, then they must admit that their belief in human rights came from Christianity, the truth of which they deny. What he's saying is, if you are a secularist in the West, then you must admit that your belief in human rights did not come from evolution. It came from Christianity, but you don't even believe in that anyway. And so as our culture moves farther and farther away from Christianity, all we're being left with, and you see this, you feel this all the time out there in your places of work where you live, all we're left with is preferences, things we like. I like human rights. People in the West, we don't say it like that because it doesn't sound right, but that's really all we have. I like human rights. Some people like chocolate. Some people like skydiving. Some people like human rights. See, if you don't believe that there is a creator God, then you also must be able to say there are no human rights. Do not decry the oppression of women or children or minorities, the oppression of the weak by the strong. If evolution is right, the strong trampling on the weak is precisely what should be happening. But if something about that picture sits ill with you, then you must look elsewhere. Because you see, Scripture teaches that God is creator. God is creator. God has a plan for this world and for his creation. And he has made us in his image. And so we have value and dignity. And we all have the same value and dignity, regardless of race or gender or education or uh, financial success, on and on. Regardless of any of these things, we all have equal value. We are worthy of love, not because of what we do or not because of what we have. We're worthy because we reflect God, our creator, in a way that spiders, hyenas, and chimpanzees do not. Listen, I love my dog. Love him. Love him so much. My dog is not a lesser version of my children. He thinks he's one of the children. But he's not even a lesser version of them. God has given us as humans life and dignity and he's given us the stewardship of the earth and he has given the obligation to the strong not to oppress but to liberate the weak. We've fallen so short of that. But when we deny the existence of God, all we're left with is toiling after gain. I mean, what is the survival of the fittest except toiling after personal gain? And so the teacher from Ecclesiastes is bent on helping us see the illusion of gain. He's bent on helping us see this. It's a mist. It's gone. Our day in the sun is like footprints on sand. The waves of time will erase them. There is nothing new under the sun except the one who came from above. Because he's not under the sun. He supersedes the sun. He controls the wind and the waves. 
He is the living water. He makes all things new, both the earth and the human race. In John 8, Jesus says to his audience, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, the one from above, the one from the Father, you will die in your sins. There are only two ways to live. Toiling after gain, because the only meaning in this world is the meaning that I create. It's every man for himself. I'm going to make it. Let's see if you can. Just toiling after gain. That's one way. Or receiving life from God as a gift. Those are the only two ways. Receiving life from God. All of life is a gift from God. We don't have to toil, to strive after gain, after more. Because the one from above has come to give meaning to all of our lives. So when we receive him, we are not in our sins anymore. We are free. But we must receive him. These are two completely different conceptions of life. Toiling after gain, receiving from God. Which way are you living? Now, Don't answer too quickly. Don't say, well, I'm a Christian, so of course I'm living the Christian way. No, hold on. In your life, look at your life. What's there more evidence of? You're toiling after gain or you're receiving from God? The teacher from Ecclesiastes wants to help us see the illusion of getting, of getting, getting wealth, getting a name, right? Making a name for ourselves, getting pleasure, get, getting a man, getting knowledge, getting power, getting salvation by self-effort. We race after these goals. We work, want, wonder, and waste no time. We put our kids in soccer and baseball and piano and ballet. We, we, we eat on the go. We work while we drive. We drive while we text. We take meds to cope with the stress. All the while losing our connection with those who matter most in our lives. And mostly losing our connection to God. Toiling after gain is a godless existence. And it will leave you empty and angry, and weary. There must be a better way. And there is. The gospel, above all else, you guys, above all else, the gospel is about receiving. Receiving. John 1.12. But to all who did receive him, Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you see? That's the gospel. Have you believed it? Have you embraced it? Because when we receive Christ, we exit that world of toiling after gain. And we receive from him. So church, slow down. Breathe. Receive. I want to invite you right now, any of you who want to do this, maybe you should all do this, put your hands on your knees, palms up, and close your eyes and receive. Just think about this. Receive. Receive God's promise as Abraham did. 
God's promise, his promises are true wealth. Receive God's name as Moses did. God's name and fame over your life will satisfy you far above your own name, your own fame. Receive God's love as newborn Israel did. God's love will exceed every pleasure that leaves you empty. Receive God's children as Ruth and Naomi did. God will increase our families, our legacy, through natural or spiritual means. Receive God's voice as Samuel did and said, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. God's voice will give you true wisdom from above. Because remember, the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. Receive God's Messiah. As the first Christians did. The one from above. The one from the Father. The one who achieved salvation for us. Because by our own efforts, we will die in our sins. Receive him. What does it profit a man, a woman, to gain the whole world and lose his or her own soul? Receive God's spirit as the true church has always done. God's spirit brings the power of the new world. So our toiling, your toiling for gain can cease. Because everything of lasting value in your life will come by the Spirit's power, not your own power. And so receive. You can look at me now. Church. Our striving after gain in this planet that mocks us exposes our fleeting existence. Our elusive attempts at controlling that which can't be controlled. Our empty and futile striving. Our illusions of importance. Reality is different altogether. God is creator. So slow down. Breathe. Receive. From God, the gift of life, life in his son. Let's pray. Father, we are so fidgety. We're so busy in our minds, constantly thinking, going through cycle after cycle of thought that is fruitless, and we find ourselves stuck. Thank you, Lord, for disrupting the cycles of the earth with the one who came from above, Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Savior, the one who achieved salvation for us so that we would not 
be, we would not die in our sins. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We receive you. We receive you, just you, the gift of you, who you are as king, as ruler, as our brother, as our shepherd, as the one who loves us like no one else ever will. We receive you. Teach us to cease from striving. Teach us from cease, to cease from defining life by gain. Help us learn from nature, the sun, the wind, the waters. There's no gain. And yet they're doing what you created them to do day in and day out. And it remains forever. It longs for its full restoration. So let us long for our full redemption when we receive new bodies from you. Father, we love you. We trust you. Father, help us learn from the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. Help us pause and reflect on how we are living, how much we're striving. If anyone here, Lord, does not know you, has not received Christ, would you bring them in? Allow them to come in, God to bow before you, to exit the world of toil and striving and begin receiving each day from you. You, O oh God, pursue us relentlessly with your goodness. Help us receive that goodness each day that we may exalt the name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.